Better? Ah, there we go. Okay. Good deal. <clears throat> well, good morning. Uh, my name is Roe Taylor. Uh, I work with RUF at Delta State University. I'm glad to be here this morning. It's an honor to be here. Um, gosh, I've been with RUF for, uh, for 13 years now, which seems kind of crazy to me, but um, been with RUF for a minute, been at Delta State for seven years, and I tell people all the time, and <clears throat> I don't mean this as a joke, but it usually gets a laugh, but I tell people all the time Delta State is the coolest university in Mississippi, um, just because of the uniqueness of it, the demographic of it, and just the, the beauty that's there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I'm originally from here in Jackson, grew up here, see some familiar faces in the crowd. Um, I've never attended here regularly, but I've followed y'all's uh, ministry here for a while. I remember my first staff training with RUF um, in 2011, and Elbert actually preached the, we have a worship service during the week of training one night, um, and Elbert actually, and one of the campus ministers um, preaches, and Elbert actually preached that night, my first um, staff training, and I remember his sermon because it was impactful on me. He, he preached from John chapter 4 and about the Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and he was talking about how it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, to Samaria, through Samaria, and he made the point of like that was not the normal way. Like usually people did anything they could to go around Samaria, but for Jesus, he had to go to Samaria. And he was encouraging all of us campus ministers, intern staff, in the direction of cross-cultural love, of multi-ethnic ministry. And I remember um, hearing that sermon that night and thinking, this is, this is the direction I want to pray for my ministry. Um, and by God's grace, um, for about the last 10 years or so, I've been blessed to be able to do cross-cultural ministry on campus at Delta State and Georgia Southern before that. And so I'm preaching this sermon here, um, not because of who y'all are, which I admire and respect, but, but kind of as a taste of what RUF at Delta State is, um, as, a, as, uh, as a taste of that, and because I believe it's from God. And God has used it to shape me, our group, and obviously this church as well. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, really going to focus in on two verses in uh, chapter 3, but reading some uh, longer section just for context sake. Um, if you were to come to our Tuesday night large group, which we call 737, which the reason we do that is just a gimmick because students will remember that it's 737. They usually ask, why is it 737? And they try to guess, but but you would hear our, uh, um, our MC who does the announcements stand up, um, actually a young lady from Jackson, and she uh, says, we want to be about the three C's here at RUF, Christ, community, and cross-cultural love. We want to be a Christ-centered, cross-cultural community. Um, and it's interesting that some of the greatest passages on justification, the doctrine on which uh, uh, Martin Luther said, the doctrine on which the church stands, are preceded, or like bookended by... Jesus' church as a cross-cultural, multi-ethnic church. I um, mean, we're going to be looking at, Bentley read one of those earlier, we're going to be looking at another one here in Ephesians 2. Uh, we're starting verse 13, again, really just focus on a few verses in chapter 3. This is God's word. <clears throat> but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Amen. The word of the Lord for us this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your gospel, for your good news. God, we thank you for your word and that we can read it. God, we thank you that you're not a God who remains far off and distant, but you've actually come near by your spirit and in your word made flesh, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that wherever we may be this morning, believing, doubting, I'm anxious, Lord, wherever um, our hearts are drawn to other things besides you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would point us to Jesus, that you would point us to the grace and truth that can be found in him and only him. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. But several years ago, um, my wife and I had a, more so my wife, but I'll tag on to this, um, had a vision for a garden uh, in our backyard. Small garden, it was probably like five by ten-ish, not, not big by any means. Um, our neighbor even wanted to get in on it, and so we did. And so a friend who has a tiller came over and like tilled this little small little patch. Um, and we planted all the stuff, uh, tomatoes, cucumbers, squash, potatoes, like everything. Planted a lot of stuff in that one little thing. 
And we figured it was probably going to take a little while to grow. Um, but what happened was something that we didn't expect. <clears throat> Within one week, we had grown one of the finest and tallest garden of weeds you will have ever seen. I mean, it was probably like up waist high. It was overgrown within this little like boxed in area of, of just weeds, no potatoes, no squash, no, nothing, just weeds. Um, we had a vision, a dream of a garden that never quite came to fruition. Um, and that's more me. My wife since then has, has a green thumb. I do not. I was probably the problem in that equation. Um, but I mentioned that because uh, someone else had a dream. 60 years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave what is uh, probably his most well-known speech um, that he ever did, his I Have a Dream speech in the March on Washington. Um, his I Have a Dream speech that one day little black and white children will play together, that people will be judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. Um, beautiful speech. He said a lot of great things uh, other than that, a lot, and even some very much harder things. Um, great and convicting things. And that's, that's one that gets posted on Facebook a lot, right? Um, MLK Day every year, that's one that gets posted a good bit. But there's something that oftentimes doesn't get included in that, that um, he was murdered because of that dream. Like for pursuing that dream, that he was actually uh, murdered, his family was threatened, um, he was arrested, because of what he said, and ultimately murdered because of what he said, of what he said his vision, his dream of America should be. And he was first and foremost a pastor. He was first and foremost a pastor, so his vision actually came from Scripture. Like his vision of what America should be, and much more the, the church should be, actually came from God's Word. Um, so we're going to look at this morning what the Bible says about it. What the Bible says about it. Ephesians 2 and 3, um, just two things this morning. Uh, we're going to be kind of camping out verses about 8 through 10 in Ephesians 3. But it talks about two things I want to point out. The mystery of the gospel and the manifold wisdom of God. <clears throat> the mystery of the gospel and the manifold wis wisdom of God. So first, what is the mystery of the gospel? And many Bible scholars look at that phrase and kind of where it is located in the letter to the Ephesians and say, hey, this is, like, this is, the, main, this is the main idea that Paul's trying to get across to us, um, the mystery of the gospel. So what is it? Well, before we answer that, we need to make clear what the Apostle Paul is saying is like what he doesn't mean by that. Because I hear mystery and I think like the board game Clue or like murder mystery or um, maybe even magic. But that's not what Paul is meaning when he says this. What he means by mystery is something that has not yet been revealed, something that has not yet been fully made known. He doesn't mean some deep, dark magic. He means something that is yet unknown. And that's what he means in verse 5 um, when he says, it wasn't revealed to the Old Testament prophets or apostles as clearly as it has now been revealed to us, to them back then, to us today. So what is the mystery of the gospel? In Paul's terms, it's verse 6. Verse 6, that Jews and Gentiles together share in the grace of God as co-heirs with Jesus. Period. Jews and Gentiles, once two very separate and divided uh, peoples, um, the way that Ephesians 2, like Paul writes about it, is as the dividing wall of hostility. That sounds pretty bad. Like, 
uh, State Ole Miss, Auburn, Alabama, um, Delta State, MC, doesn't have that kind of like hostility, right? Um, dividing wall of hostility. And what he says is that these two divided people are now one in Christ. Um, what was once the, the largest human rivalry is now one, been made one because of Jesus. Um, so that's it, right? That's the mystery. Um, well, not quite. Paul does something really interesting in verses six and seven. Um, this is hat tip to John Stott, one of the greatest Bible scholars probably in the last hundred years. Um, I was a math major in college, so like I don't think I actually learned grammar and may not have even actually learned it until um, I had to go to seminary and learn Greek and Hebrew and things like that. Um, so I didn't, this would not have stuck out to me, but what Stott points out is that, is that he actually uses mystery and gospel synonymously. Um, you know, some of you English grammar people might get that more readily, but he points out that, that his construction is as synonyms. Um, the mystery is the gospel. The gospel is the mystery. So what does this mean? This means that unity that happens when there, where there was once division is a gospel issue. Unity that happens where there was once division is a gospel issue. That's what the, the passage that Bentley read earlier is. Um, when Paul saw that Peter, or Cephas, as uh, was in Bentley's translation, when Paul saw that Peter's conduct was out of step with the truth of the gospel, when what Peter did was out of step with the truth of the gospel, he spoke up. Um, it was a gospel issue. This is not a, not a political issue as some people want us to think. Um, it comes first from the heart of God, this racial and ethnic disunity. It's a biggie. It's what Paul was actually talking about, that we can't hate people of other races and ethnicities. Um, there are, just to be clear about, like there are people out there who, like extremists, who, who do hate. And I don't want to say that there aren't. But I think if you think about that passage in, in Galatians 2, like what is, what's the example that Paul's given that he's writing about? Um, he's not writing about some extreme, like it was hurtful for those people, right? But he's not, like the example he's giving is not an extreme case of like murder or anything like that. He's calling Peter out for grabbing his lunch tray and moving to another table. He's, he's calling Peter out for just merely valuing, like these people are better to sit by than these people. That's what he's calling out. And Paul says that that is out of accord <laughs> with the truth of the gospel. Um, about 30 minutes from us, uh, we're in Delta States in Cleveland, Mississippi, about 30 minutes away from, from where we live is, the, is Bryant Grocery, where Emmett Till allegedly um, uh, whistled at Carolyn Bryant, or was accused of doing that. Um, he would be 82 years old today. He would be 82 years old today. Um, this is recent history. Um, I got to meet his, his cousin who, he, who was coming to visit that summer and who he was staying with when, when he was kidnapped um, out of the house. They were in beds next to each other. Um, Reverend Wheeler Parker is a pastor in, in Chicago, and um, Reverend Parker said, you know, I, I really think Emmett probably would have been a pastor like me. Um, 
We look back today and we call that a, rightfully call it a, a heinous crime, right? Um, but back then it took only 67 minutes for that jury, um, all white jury, to say that J.W. Milam and Roy Bryant did nothing wrong. It was only 53 years ago that Jackson police and um, uh, Highway Patrolman went on to uh, Jackson State's campus and fired um, uh, five, almost 500 bullets in 28 seconds into a women's dorm, killing uh, two students, Philip Gibbs and James Earl Green, shooting 12 others. Um, this is recent history. This is recent history. <clears throat> I mention all that because if this is a gospel issue, unity where division used to be is a gospel issue. There can't be unity without acknowledgement of hurt, pain, sin, and confession and sorrow and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, we as Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't just blow this off as not a gospel issue. It is what, what Paul says. He called out Peter for picking up his lunch tray and going to another table. And he says, that's a gospel issue. Um, and we got to know the real thing. You know how the, this is probably a well-worn illustration, but you know how the Department of Treasury trains its agents in how to spot counterfeit bills? They don't go through the list of like, hey, here's a hundred different ways that you could counterfeit a bill. No, they train them in the real thing. They train them to be, to, to so fully recognize the real thing that they can spot a fake from a mile away. A couple of years, or not a couple of years ago, back, when was this? Back in the spring, we went to, um, uh, our kids, we took our kids to this card shop in town over on county line um, to trade, to trade, buy, look at uh, Pokemon cards. And the guy in the store, we took those cards in, and the guy in the store, it was pretty amazing, honestly. Uh, the guy in the store, as he, they were looking at the cards, asking how much they're worth, and he was just flipping through, was like, oh, this one's fake, 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 real, this is a good one, fake, fake, and real. And I asked, I was like, how do you, how are you able to do that? Like, how do you know? They look all the same to me. Um, how do you know which one's real, which one's fake? And he says, when you deal with it as much as I do, you know a fake when you see it. <clears throat> um, that's, Christians, that's how we should be with the gospel. When we, when we deal in the gospel, um, we should be able to know a fake when we see it. So first, the mystery of the gospel. The mystery is the gospel. One family of God. Um, no divisions. Second, the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Um, the mystery of the gospel is revealed to Paul, but also the manifold wisdom of God. Two things, and the first quickly, verse 9 says that, that Paul was to preach to the Gentiles to bring to light for everyone the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. What's Paul saying here? Not only is he revealing the mystery of God, that God shows no bias, that God shows no partiality. But we're supposed to share that good news as well. That we're supposed to share that good news as well and, and talk about it and say, hey, we're all made in the image of God. It wasn't like in the, the days of the Exodus when the uh, Israelites heard that and it was probably mind-blowing for them because for them, they thought only Pharaoh was made in the image of God. And for them to hear 
wait, I'm, like, I'm made in the image of God too? Like, everyone is made in the image of God. We're supposed to talk about and say things like, hey, the, the white church is not better than the black church, which is not better than a Latino church, which is not better than an Asian church, which is not better than um, a Scottish church, and so on and so forth. Um, we're invited into this gospel message. Second thing, verse 10 says, through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All right, so what in the world does that mean? Again, hat tip to John Stott. The word that gets translated manifold is a Greek word, polypoikilos, polypoikilos, which literally means many multicolored. Um, in other words, multi-ethnic. Through the church, the multi-ethnic wisdom of God will be made known. I'm not making this up. Listen to what Stott says about it. He says, so the church is a multiracial, multicultural community is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. No other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique. It is God's new society, and the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored wisdom of God. See what he's saying? That the way that the church will one day be when Jesus comes back is as, um, uh, as Paul read, uh, Anthony read, and um, in Revelation 5, that every tongue, tribe, and nation will be worshiping there before the throne. Ephesians 3, Paul's saying the same thing. The church will one day be that. And we can't stop that. And we wouldn't want to stop that. <clears throat> but we should also pursue that here on earth. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray, right? The Lord's Prayer. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And by the way, this is, this is also, just think about this, uh, this for a minute. It says, verse 10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, be, might now be made known to the watching world? No, it says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Think about it this way. If this were to kind of shake down in a um, theater-style um, setting, uh, God is the writer, producer, um, director, star of the show in Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit, we're, we're included, right? We're actors, we're stagehands. Um, we're included in it, but who does it say the audience is? Who does, this, who does it say the audience is? It says the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Angels. <laughs> they don't know everything. They don't know everything. Only God the Father knows everything. They're watching on, um, as Hebrews says, they're looking on to, there's things onto which the angels long to look. They're watching intently as the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed through the church. It's like, think about it, it's kind of a, a, one of those hero genre Marvel type movies or something like that, where, uh, where the angels and Christians who've gone before us are watching and like cheering you, us, on um, as the kingdom goes forward, they don't know fully how it's supposed to go, but they're like cheering um, as, as God's manifold, many multicolored wisdom goes forward. And I think about this. Um, 
how hard is it to hang out with um, and truly love somebody different from you? I'm not talking about like, I like McDonald's, they like Wendy's, different than me. Um, radically different, as in like zero shared cultural um, experiences, background cues. Um, I'll be honest with you, I am at my most awkward, which is saying a lot. <laughs> Um, when I'm hanging out with international students, where there's uh, cultural differences, where there's even poten uh, potentially a language barrier, um, how difficult is it to hang out with and love people different than us? But that's actually, that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to, right? That's what he's calling us to. Um, he didn't call us to stay in, his, in our own little like bubbles and comfort zones. Jesus left his ultimate comfort zone. <laughs> the right hand of the Father, to come to earth. Jesus is actually inviting you, me, Delta State RUF, Redeemer, um, to display the manifold, many multicolored, multi-ethnic wisdom of God and community that might make someone ask, hey, what's going on there? And might make the angels and rulers in the heavenly places rejoice and cheer you on. God is calling us to a great task, one that if we're honest, we don't know exactly what to do except to keep our eyes on Jesus and to follow his example. We need that uh, great prayer of Jehoshaphat. Um, we don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. In other words, if you don't go before us, we can't do it. But that's the thing, he has gone before us. Verses 11 and 12 um, Paul continues on saying this, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized. Realized mean that he has made it happen. He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The good news is that he didn't just say like, hey, y'all go do this. I'm going to chill on my throne in heaven <laughs> and y'all get to work. No, he actually came before us and he did it. His life, death, and resurrection. I'm going to read a, um, an excerpt from an um, article, a guy named Dr. Esau Macaulay, um, who's a New, professor, uh, um, New Testament professor at Wheaton up in Chicago. Uh, he's also an African-American man from Huntsville, Alabama. And this is something he wrote around Easter time a couple of years ago. Actually, it was in the middle of, uh, or in 2020. Um, but he wrote this, the title of it was, I have only one hope for racial justice, a God who conquered death. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> he says, we need a hope big enough to overcome death itself. The resurrection then is not a mere sign. It is a hermeneutical key that unlocks the mystery of God's purposes. It is the power that overcomes principalities. As I survey the history of race relations in America, I see this truth in play. My ancestors knew that in order to secure their freedom, slavery had to bend to the will of God and be destroyed. They knew that the Jim Crow era, despite its oppression, was not, mere, not more comprehensive in its power than the resurrection. We introduced Jim and Jane Crow to a resurrection-empowered hope, and the civil rights movement was born. Similarly, what evidence do we have that today's racial divisions can be defeated and that our societal sickness is not unto death? Our answer is the same, the empty tomb and the risen Christ. The resurrection's our hope. The resurrection is our hope. If Jesus didn't go before us, we can't do it. 
If the Spirit's not in it, we cannot do it. For all our talks about what the kingdom and church are going to look like and hopefully should look like here on earth, the resurrection is our hope. It's the only thing that can make that dream a reality. Um, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream. Um, Jesus had a vision of what his church was going to look like, Jew and Gentile together, black, white, Asian, Hispanic together. Jesus was murdered, was assassinated on a cross for his vision of what the church is supposed to look like, the inclusion of non-Jewish people, us. This is what the Pharisees and Romans got so mad about, right? That Jesus has a multi-ethnic, multicultural, cross-cultural vision for his church. One day, someday, when Jesus comes back, there are going to be people of every tongue, tribe, nation, and language gathered around the throne worshiping King Jesus. He was nailed to a cross for that vision so that he might die the death that we deserved after living a life that we couldn't live to bring us people of every tongue, tribe, and nation, into the cross-cultural, multi-ethnic family of God. That's good news. That's really good news. Amen. Let's pray together. King Jesus, we thank you for your vision your beautiful life, your sacrifice for us. Thank you what you've given to us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, that you would encourage us um, in this, that we would think about the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places cheering us on in this direction. That you would show us your grace. Um, that we would live our lives in light, Jesus, of what you have done for us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.